You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Creatures Podcast. I'm Angie, and today is a very special interview that will hopefully leave you all inspired. I'm so excited to be talking to a total conservation rock star and a world-renowned orangutan expert, Leif Cox. Leif has been fighting hard for over 30 years to protect orangutans and their habitat. He is the president and founder of the Orangutan Project, which is a highly respected nonprofit organization that supports a wide range of critical projects addressing orangutan conservation and deforestation. Leif is involved in several other international projects that work to conserve tigers and elephants as well. And he's a dynamic bridge builder that contributes his expertise to several important organizations, such as the World Associations of Zoos and Aquariums, and he's involved with the International Stud Bookkeepers, Species Management Projects, and he even acts as a zoo husbandry advisor and zoo accreditation officer. And to top all that off, he's made the time to author a few books along the way about orangutan conservation. So it's such a pleasure to talk about orangs today, and welcome, Leif. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh, it's it's a pleasure, of mine. Uh, I've been I've been wanting to talk to your organization pretty much since the inception of this podcast, just because I love orangutans and I love what you do, and their story is one that is really important to tell. And so we're going to get into all that today. And I I just really am happy to have you here. And before we dive into the meat and the bones of the orangutan project, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself, your background and your current endeavors? Mm -hmm. Um, I I describe myself as a, um, I guess, conservation, um, conservationist almost. And um, our, our mission is to save um, up to eight viable ecosystems of the right type, shape and size of rainforest to take orangutans, elephants and tigers and all the other biodiversities through the extinction crisis. At the same time, because all these things are win-win solutions, is to create a better world for the indigenous communities, um, local communities and for future generations through mitigating climate change. And now, did you always want to work with orangutans since you were a little boy, or has that grown into that? I've always wanted to work with animals. Um, yeah. And um, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to um, work with orangutans and um, and you know discovering that the self-aware persons that share our planet and unfortunately been driven to extinction in the most horrific ways. So that's kind of set the I guess the tone of my life. Um, to work for the, the benefit of orangutans as individual persons, um, but as a, a critically endangered species. 
Yeah. And I mean, they're just such intelligent and amazing creatures. One of our closest relatives. Do you have a favorite orangutan interaction story that you could share with us? Mm-hmm. I, I've known so many wonderful orangutans over so many years and they're all individual persons. Um, from being the mother of an orangutan called Sakara um, when she was injured and nursing her um, and, you know, which was a wonderful experience. And eventually, um, once she was fully um, well, is reintroducing her back to the mother and, then, and re-establishing that relationship to releasing the first zoo-born orangutan back into the wild. Then meeting her three years later in the rainforest and holding hands in the rainforest as, as two free, independent persons. Um, so there's, there's many other wonderful um, opportunities of, of, of deep connection I've experienced um, over my life. And many of those I've, I've um, highlighted and described in my books, um, yeah, such as um, orangutans, my cousins, my friends. Yes, and we'll definitely want to give our listeners the titles and how to go about purchasing those amazing books here in our podcast and then also in our show notes, uh, because I, I bet you're just a wealth of stories. And I just got goosebumps picturing you holding hands with an orangutan that you hadn't seen for three years uh, after you helped it get its life back. So it's easier for me because I've worked with a lot of animals and had just wonder wonderful experiences and interactions and I know their individual personalities but for people that might not be as familiar with orangutans or their plight what would you tell people about why they should care about orangutans and their conservation yeah um first of all as self-aware persons who share the planet with us um, they have rights as individuals they suffer um, and mourn and um you know, just as we do. So um, as individuals, they in, inherently have value. Um, as part of the biodiverse rainforest of Indonesia, you know, the, and saving the habitat home has, is interestingly linked in um, what we need to do to save our planet. So all beings and all, all humanity can survive the, 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 um, the climate crisis. And, and so we're all interlinked, we're all interconnected. Um, and so our lack of compassion for the powerless, either whether that's a person of different species or different race or different country, is ultimately feeding back to destroy us all. Wealth and privilege can, in at least in the short term, buffer us from the, the most um, strongest impacts of climate change or destruction of our planet, but it will catch up to us because we're, we're really all on in this, on the same boat. And um, so those are the two best reasons to um, to care about the orangutans um, from an individual ethical um, um, perspective, but also just a pragmatic perspective. Um, there, there, there is no possibility of um, us getting way with our lack of compassion for others um, in the long term and, and and that evolution of morality and ethics um, is an integral um, prerequisite um, for our very survival 
Well, yes. I mean, we are definitely interconnected. And um, a person I interviewed a while ago talking about tiger conservation shared with me that if we conserve tigers, we'll also help conserve and save ourselves because we're all connected. And so, Leif, can you give us a background about orangutan populations, Mm -hmm. uh, their numbers and their current Mm -hmm. threats to survival? Like, how bad is it? It's extremely bad. Um, there's three species of orangutans, the mm-hmm. um, Bornean, Samartan, Tapanuli. All three are critically endangered, um, and we, which basically means um, they're an eminent threat of extinction without immediate action. Um, of course, the, the rainforest has been destroyed at a great rate for unsustainable forms of monoculture, such as palm oil, pulp paper, etc. Um, passing the true cost of production onto the powerless, including future generations. And unfortunately, orangutans, like humans as intelligent persons, predominantly adapt to their environment through culture. You know, they're born with vacant brains and the mother programs the culture of, of their society rather than just natural selection, um, you know, such as um, less intelligent animals predominantly use adaptive environment. But this then makes them the slowest reproducing species in the world so that they do not recover um, very well and very quickly from the inherent destruction um, and, and therefore makes them so much more vulnerable to extinction than other species. And what needs to be done to help protect the remaining populations of orangutans? Mm-hmm. We need to protect um, orangutan populations in viable numbers in viable ecosystems. And we've only got the next 10 years to do this. And that 10-year period is that 10-year period that science is telling us we, we have to turn around the, the global climate in order for the world to survive. And that, that is no accident. It's because these two things are intricately connected. And so our job in the orangutan project is to work with wonderful on-the-ground partners to piece together eight ecosystems of the right type, shape and size of the rainforest to allow orangutans to survive and recover in sustainable numbers. And of course, um, working with the local communities to develop agricultural systems under that rainforest. And so it's a win-win solution for everybody. Yes, it's always, always important to get local people involved. Study after study shows that if local people aren't taking part in the projects, that it's hard for it to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, and as, as the founder of the Orangutan Project, what is the mission? Uh, the mission of the Orangutan Project is um, that um, one day that all orangutans will live in viable populations and secure habitat. Um, and, and so in essence, our, our vision is that one day that we are not needed anymore. Perfect, uh, yes. So we hope, um, we've only got 10 years, which is still within um, my working lifetime to solve this problem. And so we're doing our best to do that. Um, and our strategy is to pass on these ecosystems, not only environmentally self-sustainable, um, for the orangutan populations, but economically. And so the um, the agricultural system that we're developing in partnership with, with indigenous communities means that ec- they can survive forever economically as well as um, ecologically. 
And of course, scientists are telling us that um, we have to rewild about 28% of the planet for the planet to recover and survive. And, um, and these eight ecosystems will provide the biological resource to allow future generations to do that. Um, if not, what will happen as, as a microcosm of the, the global issue, if you don't have enough rainforest, the right type, shape and size, even though rainforest exists, it will collapse because it's not producing enough rain to support itself. It doesn't have the key river rhine and lowland ecosystems to, for the biodiversity to survive. And so therefore, it, it's extremely critical to understand the science. Yeah. Um, and of course, act extremely quickly. And with protecting these uh, these eight forest habitats, where are they located? Mm-hmm. We're strategically um, 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 located areas of, of high significance um, with our partners. Um, and there, there's several reasons why we choose areas. One is um, its ability to hold orangutans in significant numbers because you need a, a certain level of um, population size for the, the population to survive. So if you save 200 orangutans in a bit of rainforest, that population will eventually go extinct. So you need at least 2,000 orangutans in each population for it to survive. So we want areas about 200,000 hectares. Yeah, and big. orangutans, elephants and tigers, um, as well as the agriculture that indigenous communities need, need the lowland river rainforest. So if you only preserve the highland and the hills, all the populations and the agriculture will all be destroyed as well. Um, so we have to piece together all the right types of forest. The second thing is we have to mitigate against some of the um, um, problems with climate change, i.e. increased forest fires. So we can have, if we have only protecting one population, that whole population could be wiped out by one fire. Right, exactly, um, yeah. So, um, Orangutans being lowland, um, and one example, orangutans being a lowland species, they're often found in great numbers in these um, lowland coastal peat swamps. But um, a lot of the um, climate change models are showing those peat swamps indicate, indicated, um, taken over um, by sea level rising. And basically the forest is destroyed as salt water enters um, the forest. The water. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we only preserve, let's say, for example, a, a lowland uh, peat swamp population, then climate change may in 10, 20 years wipe out that population. Um, and therefore, we have to have um, many baskets to put up for the eggs of orangutan populations um, because there's these huge feedback loops, which mm-hmm. will, um, um, and, and many of them are known especially for example we know that fires are going to get worse we know that rainfall is going to get more intense and more intense droughts but we do not know specifically what the particular rainforest characteristics of particular effects in very local areas scientists can't predict that Um, and and therefore we must be extremely conservative um, to save as many of these viable populations as possible before it's too late Um, because is it likely at least some of them are not going to survive because of the um, the, the, the um, issue of um, global climate change affecting them. Yeah, so now your organization too has also worked to rescue orangutans, re- rehabilitate them, and, and even release them. 
Mm-hmm. So would you mind sharing with us how this works with such a social and intelligent mm-hmm. animal? Yeah, I've done this myself personally with orangutans coming from zoo populations and um, we support many wonderful um, you know, local Indonesian and local Indonesian organizations to achieve this. And yet it is quite difficult because um, mm-hmm. orangutans, um, when their mothers are killed and often eaten in front of them, as an example, they're given physical injuries um, or diseases which inhabit, which, which um, reduces their ability to be rehabilitated. And then they have mental trauma. Their little minds sure. are broken. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they spend the first eight years suckling off their mother and mm-hmm. learning and they had the most wonderful nurturing upbringing and have that destroyed is it, it, a, a mental health issue which, which they need to recover from and, and then they need to learn the social skills of being orangutan and then ultimately the forest skills so all that culture mental and physical health um, needs to be um, addressed and replaced um, by you know by you know um, loving Indonesian um, carers um, mm-hmm. in order to give them the best chance possible to survive in a while. And now there's two reasons why we do this. Um, when I first started, the only reason we were doing this is because the individuals mattered in themselves. Now the, the ranking populations are so critically endangered, every individual counts from a conservation perspective because we can't afford to lose any um, genetic biodiversity. Um, and, and, and so um, these orangutans are re-establishing extinct populations um, th- through the um, confiscation, rehabilitation, release of ex-captives are now an important conservation um, tool that we're using to try to um, pull back um, the orangutan from the brink of extinction. Yeah. And Leif, your organization is also helping educate local people about orangutan conservation and why it's so important. Would you mind touching on how you're able to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, we're working always with the local population and educating them people about the, um, the environment is extremely important. But I must stress um, the idea that we educate people um, by and large can be misguided in the sense that they are intelligent persons and they know more about the local environment than you will ever know. And Excellent so it, point. Sometimes it's very arrogant yes. thing. oh, we're, we're going to teach them. Mostly they're disempowered. Big sure. multinationals are taking the land uh, and, and um, they're driven into unsustainable forms of um, living because, for example, their slash and burn agriculture, hunting gathering, which was sustainable for centuries, mm-hmm. now become unsustainable because their native land has been taken away by big multinationals. And so what we do in um, is and one example in the Book of Tigapula ecosystem when we're working with some wonderful partners, um, we, we discovered that the children have been malnourished. Um, and they can't, and they're not learning in, in the primary school. So we support the primary school, and we're feeding the school children um, at, at the first example. And then we're working with the, the the community to develop new agricultural systems under the rainforest canopy, which now can be sustainable and shift them. They shift them from their traditional sustainable but no longer sustainable um, agricultural systems to things such as shade coffee shade cocoa, 
jungle rubber, vanilla. And, and the idea is we, we, we have a, a five to seven year funding gap. But once we can establish these um, economic systems with local communities, they can actually prosper and become richer than ever um, while preserving the rainforest and while looking after their children and making sure their children have the best chance possible. Because conservation is not about the economy versus wildlife um, or, or the um, people against wildlife. Right, <laughs> It's right. about win-win solutions for everybody. And um, the only thing we can't really cater to is the greedy billionaires and multinationals who, um, as kind of um, closet psychopaths, <laughs> are sure. destroying our planet for short-term gain and passing the true cost of production onto the powerless. Um, we can't help them directly because their goals are intrinsically in opposition to ours. But ultimately, we will be helping them because um, they can't survive and, and, and prosper on, on a dead planet. Right. Right. Nobody can. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's so crazy. Mm-hmm. And this year, this past year and a half, there's obviously been a, a huge change in how we do things and interact because of COVID-19. So Leif, how has the pandemic impacted your organization and the individual orangutans? Uh, I, I can only describe it as a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. It's... um. Our funding is is struggling because sure. um, you know lockdowns. We cut to fundraise and connect with people. Ec- the economic downturn um, in the field. There's far more lawlessness because as law and order um, breaks down, more illegal activity, poaching, more encroachment, um, and many places around the world, um, including Australia, um, the um, less enlightened leaders that we have basically are doubling down on the destructive um, policies under the guise of economic recovery. In, in Australia, we have the gas-led recovery, which is, you know, my stupidest thing in the world. In Indonesia, they had the omnibus law, basically stripping back environmental and, um, and workers' um, rights regulations in, uh, under the guise of economic recovery. And of course, doubling down on destructive principles, which, you know, which is Goddison's problem in the first place. And, and we, so we have to, unfortunately, um, deal with, with that in, in the future. And on a very personal level, um, you know, the wonderful Indonesians you know, and leaders of conservation, they're sick and dying. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's, the, the, the official figure in the needed 100,000 people have died so far from COVID, but look, it's got to be a million. Most people not being racist, they've just been taken out and buried, in, you know, and, you know, it, it's it's devastating them, um, you know, and, um, and it's just another classic example of our inability to connect with others because unless we vaccinate and look after every person on the planet, New variants of COVID are going to are uh, developing now in Indonesia. You know, oh, to it's a huge problem. Yeah, world. you know, it's a so, huge problem in the United States right now with Delta. It, it, I mean, exactly. And we have vaccines. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You know, and but so you, you you have to we have to deal with this on a global level, and we can't leave mm-hmm. um, anybody behind. No. Um, yeah. And and so um, so ironically. Um, and I talk about is um, we 
living in the most important 10 years of whole of human history. We've got 10, you know, 10 years to turn us around. Otherwise, human history is going to end in a very catastrophic way. Um, so we had the most important work to do ever, any time in history. But at the same time, the challenges are, are becoming increasingly Great. Yeah. acute. Um, the only hope is because, you know, one of the things that we struggle with is just the very determining thing is how much funding we can get to pour into these projects. Um, you know, and, you know, billion, I don't, billionaires are spending lots of money to play in space for 10 minutes. You know, and for a small I, fraction of that, we can save the orangutans. I know. We can, we, just, we can stop the whole hunger. <laughs> I, I, I've talked about this on the podcast for the past couple of years. I just don't understand. We have a perfect, well, not perfect. We have a planet that we live in that needs our attention, needs financial attention. And yeah, just to jet off and spend a whole bunch of money is... A, a wrong, uh, wrong perspectives and projects, in, in my humble opinion. Oh, look, um, hey, look, you know, these alpha males, which are billionaires, what they do is compete against other alpha males and who, who's got the biggest rocket and who's going sure. to go to space first and who's going to get the headline. And that's what alpha males do, right? The, the, the problem is we have allowed them to, um, you know, become wealthy by passing the true cost of production onto the powerless. Right. You know? um, and therefore, you know, you know, governments have been implicit, you know, mm -hmm. in a oh, allowing yeah. destructive behavior. And so I've got nothing against um, people becoming rich <laughs> um, from the hard work and producing goods and services which benefit all. Um, but the reality is these multi-billionaires only become rich because if they pass on the true cost of their goods and services onto the powerless um, and, and and therefore nothing wrong with being rich but but do it in a morally ethical way and and um in, in a, and also don't hoard wealth because once it once you can't spend it in a lifetime you're hoarding wealth that can be used by others to to make lives and and the planet better Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at and so, right. And I mean, the good old saying, you can't take it with you. I mean, <laughs> we, like you said, we have 10 critical years here and a lot of that money could be doing a lot better things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, and don't, don't get me wrong. You know, they're, they're just behaving like humans behave. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? They're, you know, they're, they're not thinking that, you know, that, you know, they're just thinking, not thinking oh, I've got too much. No, I haven't got enough because I've got to beat this guy because I'll, you know, I'm, I've got to look more impressive because, you know, right. Um, mm -hmm. So, but what, what we can't do is pander to, you know, that kind of um, psychology, I guess. So in some ways I'm, I'm also saying we have to, become better than our biological programming um, and often I uh, it's just a bit of a segue here if I talk in my last book finding our humanity I talk 
a lot about the destruction of the of female power within the system, which is also part of this problem. Um, without the balance of strong female power within societies and political systems, these are the perverse outcomes you get. Um, you, but you get this in a, in a tribal level if you have a patriarchy and you, and you get it in, on a global level. And so it all leads into us. So it's up to women's rights and women's empowerment that are also integral to our saving the planet because of a bunch of alpha male men aren't going to ever get it. <laughs> you know, exactly. They, 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 they need some feminine understanding um, to to mitigate the their, their excesses um, sure. in, mm -hmm. in order for us to survive. So it's all interlinked. And so there's mm -hmm. always one thing that we can do is compassion, understanding for all others, male, female, indigenous, local, different countries and nations. That it's just you know. The, get too hippie um it's about oh love. get hippie love. i love it it's about love and connection <laughs> it's a lot of compassion true. love for others um at all levels which which is the problem um and that we need to address right our, our thinking that we're so different from this animal right that often leads to poor welfare or just destroying it and similar to people thinking i'm so different than my neighbor or somebody that has a different political or religious belief or think we're really not that different and we need each other big time. Yeah, exactly. And it's another kind of um, thing I explored in the last book is um, that, you know, we've evolved as hunter gatherers in these small tribal groups and that's how we think and we interact with others. And we haven't really adapted to the changes after the agricultural and industrial revolutions. So we're kind of still maladapted. The, the amount of time since the agricultural revolution isn't a significant time for us to adapt. Right. <laughs> and, and, and therefore, you get this kind of tribal mentality um, when we have the technology and the influence on a global level. And it's the mismatch. In mo money, the financial, economic differences, yeah. all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. So we, we, we need to go beyond our biological conditioning. Um, and, and, and to want for a better word, in order to um, go beyond our inherent biological conditioning, it probably does require some a spiritual evolution mm -hmm. or, or, or moral evolution as the only, I guess, possibility, I think. Absolutely. And I know with my young children, that's that's my hope. I'm like, it, it's this is this is the future. We we mm. need a healthy planet for them. Wild populate, healthy wild populations, healthy people, mm -hmm. and just working with them and hope, hope hoping that their future is going to be bright because we owe it to them. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. I mean, even without climate change, we mm -hmm. we were pretty much set to to hand over to the next generation a, a less better world a less right. better likely of their economic prosperity and security. Mm -hmm. That was the first time in human history. Ever since then, we always, we always thought we always handed over a better world and situation to our children. This is the first time that you know, we're handing over a worst-case situation. So as a generation which has lived the most privileged gen life of any generation in human history... So privileged. Uh, we, we had this... Ex we had the extreme obligation and the extreme to to do something now. So um, the idea that we say, 
it's up to the future generations to sort this problem now, I think is, is, is a misdirection. They're not going to have the opportunity. No, um, we have, so, right. So we have the obligation and we have to, to now to, to make the changes. Um, yeah, because those, those opportunities are going to increasingly become less frequent and, um, as time goes on. Well, and speaking of that, Leif, do you have any advice for someone, um, whether they're my age or whether they're younger or older, who wants to jump in and start working in the area of great ape conservation mm-hmm. or conservation in general? Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my first advice is, is, is um, when we undertake any activity, especially if activity of self-service, we firstly have to reform ourselves before we try to reform the world. Um, because we're always going to be the, the, the world we express outside is always going to be internal reflection of our, our, our internal world. So if we're unhappy and miserable, we're going to present unhappy and misery. If we're, we're um, happy and loving, we're going to present that outside. And so I see so many times in conservation, conservation is fighting each other, backstabbing sure. each mm-hmm. other, because secretly to support their unhappiness, they need reputation, fame, money, Ego. power. Yeah. And, um, and we can't solve the world's problems by that. And, and that's one of the reasons conservation can often be so inefficient, um, because, you know, um, people will meaningly you know, enter conservation in order to to do good, but they eventually destroy everything that they create through the necessity of the, of their selfish needs. Um, and so, yeah, so you know, um, yes, reform the world, but you know, make sure you deal with starts your within, own, yes, exactly your 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 own stuff. Yeah, I once met a, a a horse. I was working with a gentleman, and this this female horse. She was just very very unhappy and the gentleman I don't know how accurate the statement was but I, I did appreciate it from an from an analogy point of view he says oh Susie or whatever the horse's name Susie can't love anybody because she don't love herself mm-hmm. and once again I think it was taken slightly out of context with the horse and why it was upset with people or whatever but I but I think it's a good analogy of like yes if you haven't done the internal work to care for yourself and understand yourself and be self-confident and love yourself, then it's going to be hard for you to present that to others and feel that for others. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would probably describe it a slightly different way is love and joy are the same thing in happiness. It, it, mm-hmm. It's just two descriptions of the same thing. And so if you, if you're happy inside, you just want to express that love. You know, you, you, you have to get out. In, yeah. You know, you want to express that by saving orangutans and tigers and looking after people and helping people. Um, and so it, it, it's a natural expression of the joy that which you feel inside. Um, and and that's and and that's that's the way to to do it. Um, if you're miserable inside, you're you you're, you're you know you in the end it's going to come out. You can fake it for a while. You know. Um, and pretend, but you you know it's got it's got to come out. So, and that's what again you know, I always talk about everything such as conservation and, mm-hmm. as an example. They're all win-win solutions, you know, to um, to selflessly work for others and the benefit of the new world 
is a joyous, wonderful life of happiness, <laughs> you know, um, to work for your own selfish needs for aggregation of your, your name, fame, reputation and power. It's a miserable life. You look at the people, they, they pretend to be happy, but you dig just below the surface and miserable and you go, you know, and often, you know, the, you know, it, you know, people who have had this wealth and power and, you know, and they say, oh, you know, when my you left for making so many sacrifices to, you know, <laughs> you crazy madman, you have sacrificed your happiness and misery for these, these, these toys of fame, reputation, power, money and things. You're mad, you know, you, you know, if you, you know, um, I've, I've gained the world, I've, I've gained the, the fulfillment of happiness and joy um, working for others, you know, so why, you know, I, you know, I need to be, you know, I need to pity you. <laughs> I, I need to, you know, you know, yeah. the, sacrifices, the, the sacrifices you've made, you know, I would never sacrifice my happiness for, for such menial things such as money and power um so yeah please don't pity me um please you know um take care of yourself absolutely and mm. and Leif, for people that are listening to this and they're inspired and they they want to help save these populations of wild orangutans what is the best approach for mm. someone living outside of borneo or sumatra mm. uh We've been talk. We talk a lot about on podcasts with voting with your dollar and mm-hmm. looking for sustainable palm oil, mm-hmm. but it's so persu- persuasive. It's so pervasive. Is that even possible, or mm-hmm. what should someone like myself overseas be doing to help? Yeah, no, that's very, that's a very good question. Um, we we have to intelligently apply our love in the world because indiscriminate charity can cause more problems than it creates, and palm oil is a perfect issue. Um, going palm oil free, for example, isn't going to save orangutan or any forest because the greedy people will destroy the forest for the value of the trees and replace it with any unsustainable form of agriculture which is viable. So if you can ban palm oil tomorrow, they're just going to knock it down for coconuts. They're going to knock it down for rubber. So um, so often, so people can spend a lifetime doing something and, and, and have no effective value on what they're trying to achieve. Not that making palm industry less destructive isn't a good idea, but it's not about saving rainforest or orangutans. The second thing is um, humans are always successful because we collectivize. We're kind of useless by ourselves and always have been. And we've been sold, I think, a lie where, um, you know, they've said to us, how we're going to solve world's problems is to um, act locally and take individual actions. While, and that basically is given license for for those who have collectivized in companies and multinationals, which is the way to achieve the thing, to continue destroying the planet while we're going recycling, changing light bulbs and growing veggies in our backyard. None, all of that's good. But if we're going to achieve anything, like any human being ever, <laughs> we need to collectivize. And so what I would say, you know, uh, is to join an organization. It could be the orangutan project, another organization, and collectivize, either through your time, money, and skill. Yeah? And together, you know, through collectivization, we can achieve something meaningful at a scale which is going to be significant enough to make a difference. Yes, it definitely is good to 
find power in numbers, right? Uh, and work together. And there's camaraderie too. That's what we've even found in the podcast is mm-hmm. as we meet more and more people and talk with more and more people, mm-hmm. the it's able to grow and reach more people and do good. And so mm-hmm. if someone does want to share or support your the incredible work that you're doing at the Rangatan Project, uh, what should they do? Mm-hmm reach out to you on Facebook mm-hmm. or uh, go to the website? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can go to our website, the Orangutan Project, or one, dot O-I-G. Um, they can sign up you know, for our newsletter. Um, they can become a regular giver. That regular donation is very powerful that we can employ. Well, especially you know, now, like you were saying, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, become a major donor and we have many people who then become volunteers you know and they you know they fundraise you know so often people are either um, time rich but money poor in which case they volunteer which is, uh, or they're time poor and money rich in which case you know um, they, they recognize that their wealth in part is um, created from the exploitation of others vicariously it's not their fault it's just part of the system you know Mm -hmm. the true cost of production for the products in your supermarket etc are subsidized by future generations and the poor and and the helpless and and and, you know um, poor creatures such as the orangutans so to to live at least a moral life to to repurpose some of that profit you know back into making a meaningful change um, you know, is, a, is, a, is a way of powerfully um, um, living a, an ethical life. Yes. I, I mean, you, you couldn't be more spot on. And I've just, I've, I've been like starstruck listening to you and just really enjoying hearing your, your wisdom and such expertise. You're out there in the field doing it every day and having so many partners within your organization. And so I just want to thank you so much for your time. And and for our listeners too, we'll put all of the information about the Orangutan Project on our show notes on our website at allcreaturespod.com. But you can go to www.theorangutanproject.org. And of course, they can be found on every social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, uh, to start following along and just to see some of the stories and what they're doing and get the conversation going. And Leif, it's been so amazing talking to you today. We'll also put the books that you have authored. Um, there's The Orangutans and Their Battle for Survival in 2002, and an Amazon bestseller, The Orangutans, My Cousin, My Friends in 2016. And I think there's probably a lot of stories that would be really interesting to hear in both of those books. Yeah, and, and Finding Our Humanity is my latest one. Yeah, Finding so. Your, oh, wonderful. And was that um, published just this uh, 2021? Um, you yeah, know, last year before last, yeah. 2020. Okay. Um, Wonderful. Yes. Well, we'll put all of that on our show notes and, and thank you so much for just talking to me today and taking the time. I know you're very, very busy. I was reading your bio and it's, it's very impressive. So I'm sure you have a million other meetings to get to and things to do. And I just hope that all of our listeners will check out the orangutanproject.org, give them a like, uh, volunteer some time, donate some money, and let's let's give the orangutans the fighting chance that they deserve to survive. It's it's our do du- it's our collective duty. Right, Leif? Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Like I said, you are a conservation hero in my book and I I so appreciate your time today. Thank you. Bye mm, bye. 
Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.